Our gospel lesson for today, the 20th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age. Houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Shortly before I started recording this video, I was walking over to the parking, or excuse me, the post office, which is something that I commonly do. I've talked about this before. It's just part of my practice. When it's nice out, I walk over and grab the mail. And I just kind of take in everything that's going on through the neighborhood. Now, I noticed something that was important. It was a good reminder of something that's happening this weekend that I needed to remember. This day here in Underwood is what uh, the city calls cleanup day, city cleanup day. Sometimes we lovingly call it put your junk out day. Depending on who we're talking to, we even have a slightly uh, uh, not so appropriate name for that instead of using the word junk, but hey, that's okay. Put stuff out on the curb and then gradually the city will come around and clean it up over the course of the weekend. Now, this is a really cool thing. It happens a couple of times a year here in Underwood. I'm, I'm a big fan of it, and it seems wonderful. All of this stuff that we have laying around in our houses that we don't want anymore, or maybe it's tucked away in a garage or it's stuck in a storeroom somewhere, we can just put it out on the curb, and then someone will come along and haul it away. We don't have to worry about it anymore. But as great as it is, there are some rules to it. We can't just put anything we want out there. There are some regulations that we have to follow. There are certain things, certain materials that they won't take, so you can't put those out. They won't pick them up. They'll just leave them there if you try to. And there's other things that they will take, but before you can put them out there, you have to clear it with the city. Things like appliances, you have to get a, a tag from the city to, to go ahead and put those out there. So there are rules 
that we have to follow, even in this wonderful thing of put your junk out and they'll haul it away. Now, this is probably no great shock, no, no great weird thing for us to consider that there are rules to it. After all, in society, we have all kinds of rules. Some of them are recorded as laws. Some of them are just more known to everyone and followed. But there's these parts of being an aspect of society that we have to follow. Now, I think this is true at every level. It's true within our households. It's true in our interactions with, with other people. It's true within our, our families or within our neighborhoods or within our communities. And it's true within our country. And it's even true uh, as we consider to be members of the human race, all of humanity. At every level, there are these rules. There's these, these inherent things that we have to follow. Now, I think that's so common that we have the tendency to apply that, whether we're aware of it or if we're doing it subconsciously, to every aspect of our lives. There are rules to everything, every single thing, and we even apply them within our life of faith, don't we? These things that we need to do, these things that we need to not do, that seems to be at the base of what we have today in our scripture lesson. Now, to start, we need to expand just a little bit. Over the course of the last several weeks, we've been in a fairly short chunk of Mark's gospel, a fairly small amount of time, while Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. During this time of travel, he's having all kinds of interactions with different people, and he's teaching, and he's preaching, and then he's spending time with his disciples, and he's explaining things, and he's doing all of this different stuff. Sometimes the encounters are, are good. Sometimes they seem to be a little bit nefarious, depending on who he's talking to. But throughout the course of this, we continue to hear all sorts of different teachings that all seem to boil down to the same idea. What are the rules? Is this okay? Is it not okay? Is this allowed? Is it not allowed? Is this lawful? Is it not? Is this good or is it not? That seems to be at the basis for all of this stuff, that all of these encounters that Jesus continues to have, these encounters that have been recorded by Mark for us to receive now as well. I can only think that maybe just maybe this guy, this individual, we don't know who he is, but this guy who comes running up to Jesus, maybe, just maybe, had been present in the crowd when Jesus was teaching just before this. Because what we had last week, which directly precedes this within the scripture, Jesus has been teaching, and he's been talking about being great, and what's allowed, and what isn't, and all this different stuff, and he takes a child, and he puts it in the midst of his audience, and he says, unless you become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You will never receive the kingdom of heaven, is, is actually the more accurate way. Now, maybe the guy that we hear about today heard that, because I can't help but think that his question which seems to be a very legitimate question, is geared in that direction. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, let's break that down, because I think his question is a good one. To inherit means that you receive it. So maybe he was listening, because he seemed to have gotten the idea that it's not something that I can go out and get on my own. I have to receive it. I have to be a recipient of it because that's what inheritance means, isn't it? Anyone who's familiar with the idea of inheritance knows that you don't earn it. 
It's given to you out of your connection and relationship to that person who has willed it to you, who makes you an heir, who calls you the heir. So on one hand, I think this guy is onto something. But that human tendency to think, I got to do it, I have to earn it, I have to achieve it, I have to follow the rules, that also seems to be present in his question as he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be named an heir? What do I have to achieve? Now, since he comes at Jesus with the rules, Jesus seems to respond with the same sort of thing. What does the law say? Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal, don't defraud, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. It's all about the way we, we, we encounter one another, the relationships that we have. And don't do the things that are bad and do the things that are good. And the guy's like, yes, I'm good to go. All of these I have kept since my youth. But Jesus, as always, looks deeper into the individual, into the person, knowing them and also loving them. I love that, that, that statement that we hear, that Jesus looks at him and loves him and yet points out what this guy is lacking. One more thing you lack. Sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, then come follow me. We don't know what happens to this guy, only that he leaves grieving sad because he's got a lot of possessions. Now, maybe he goes off and he does just that and he comes back and follows Jesus. Maybe this is the one thing that he just cannot pull off because, of, because he, he loves his possessions too much. He puts too much stock in him. We don't know. All we know is he goes off and this seems to be the stumbling block that he cannot overcome. That's what seems to be going on. Now, as we've seen time and time and time again, Jesus takes this moment, this encounter that he's had, and he turns it into a teaching moment for his audience who is still there. And he says how hard it is for those with wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and he says it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's a lot of debate about what Jesus is talking about there if he's being metaphorical or what, honestly, I think he is giving us a very spot-on-the-nose metaphor. You take a camel, which is a huge animal, and you have a needle, which is tiny, and there's no way that camel is going through the hole in the eye of the needle. Not going to happen. I think Jesus is being really on the nose here. It's impossible. And the disciples seem to pick up on it. Who can be saved? And Jesus has to be like, yes, you guys are getting it. For mortals, it's impossible. Humanity cannot pull this off. No matter how hard we try, we will never earn righteousness. We will never earn salvation. We will never earn justification. For humans, it's impossible. But for God, nothing is impossible. Jesus is pointing out here, and it seems like the disciples are getting it. It's up to God. It's not up to me. And maybe, just maybe, 11 out of the 12 guys do get it. But then we got Peter, don't we? Always Peter. Now, folks, I've said it before. I love Peter. He is so human. And I see a lot of myself in him, the, the tendency to, to be a bonehead, the tendency to speak without thinking, all of these things. Peter's just so human, and he's just so relatable. And I'm glad that he's featured in the scriptures because it makes me feel a whole lot better. But... Jesus is talking about all these things. He's pointing out that it's not about what we do. And then Peter jumps up and he's like, Lord, look what we have done. We have left everything to follow you. He might as well be asking, what's that get us? And I can only imagine Jesus' actual response. He probably face palms. 
And if he's anywhere near as snarky as I am, when, when Peter says, look at all that we have done, he must be like, oh, who's a good boy? Would you like a cookie? Jesus points out that when we leave things behind for the sake of the gospel, that we will also receive things back. That which we give up, we will also receive in this life. But some of it's going to be good and some of it's not. You give up relationship, you're going to have more relationship. You give up possessions, you're going to find other stuff. You're going to find good stuff, you're going to find bad stuff. Because we hear you'll get all of these relationships and these things, but you're also going to have persecutions. In this life, things will be both good and not so great. And that's the reality of life, isn't it? None of us would dispute that. Jesus is being honest about this life, but then he says, but in the life to come, you will also receive eternal life. All of this is possible through God, but not because of what we do. And that is what Jesus tells us over and over and over again. And remember where Jesus is going. He's going to Jerusalem where he has told us time and time and time again. And in fact, I'll say it again right after this. The son of man will be betrayed. He will be tortured. He will be killed, but he will rise again. And whatever he was doing there, it seems that is what's making it possible for God to do what is impossible for us. Salvation, justification, righteousness, whatever big fancy word we want to use is possible by God through Christ. But it's not about what we do that gets us there. Remember where this all started. Lord, what do I have to do to receive eternal life? Jesus has already answered that question. And he did it in a very subtle but important way in this passage when he looks at the disciples and he calls them children. Think back to what we heard before. Unless you become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not about what we do. It's about what another has said about us. Jesus calls the disciples children. And whatever it is that God is accomplishing through that life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, I believe it's making it possible for all of us to also be called children. God has made it possible for us to be called beloved child of God. It's not about what we do. It's about the claim that's placed upon us. It's about what God has said about us. And what God has said about us is the same as this rich guy that we hear about. God looks at us and loves us. And it's out of that amazing, all-in, sacrificial, perfect love that we cannot even hope to achieve on our own. God has looked at you and said, you are mine. And that claim is what ultimately brings us into this thing known as the kingdom of God. Now, let me be clear. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, salvation, eternal life, all of these big fancy things that we throw around all the time, it's not just about an eternal get-out-of-jail-free card. It's about freedom from that which hinders us. It's about one who is willing to see the brokenness that lies within each one of us, but loves us anyway, that sees us from a place that begins from God's favor and God's joy and God's love That's where our existence begins from. And all this junk that is a part of all of us, that has already been hauled away. Just like put your junk out day here in Underwood. 
someone has come along and already taken it away. Now, we still feel the effects of it. We still feel the presence. We still experience the brokenness in this life. But the promise is that this life is not the end. And that death and brokenness, all of that has already been overcome by what Jesus is accomplishing. Remember, it's not about us being good enough because God has already called us good. It's not about trying to achieve it because we never will. But thankfully, God's grace and God's mercy and God's love are way bigger than our ability to ever be good. Thankfully, God has already called us children, and that claim lies upon each and every one of us.